All right. Good evening. Happy Valentine's Day. Maybe, sort of, kind of, probably not. Whatever. This is Aaron over at Upchuck Theater, folks. And how we doing today? Uh, this is part two of Tough Turf, Off the Cuff. Uh, Dustin, my illustrious colleague and now part-time friend, uh, gave us uh, part one. Um, you know, he rambled for about 32 minutes, I think it was. Um, spewed some salacious lies about me that are all going to be dispelled. Um, and I should note that I listened to his podcast uh, in the shower while I was washing my balls. So there you go, Dust. Happy to uh, happy to listen. You sounded great, though. You really did. You uh, you know you got you got a great voice, and who can argue with that? So yeah. Um, so we watched uh, in our separate ways. Uh, we watched this film called Tough Turf from 1985, and as you all know, of course, that's the year of Dustin's birth. Well, good for you. Um, just going to run down a list of other movies that Dustin could have watched from 1985, including The Breakfast Club, which is terrible, Back to the Future, which I've never seen and will never watch, uh, The Goonies, Legend, Teen Wolf, Commando, The Color Purple, Weird Science, Rocky IV, Brazil, Clue, Come and See, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, also really terrible, uh, St. Elmo's Fire, horrible, uh, Rambo First Blood Part Two, Red Sonia, Ron by Akira Kurosawa, a masterpiece, uh, Witness, the best movie that Harrison Ford's ever done, um, The Falcon and the Snowman with Timothy Hutton, um, I mean, I can just keep going. So, you know, I mean, I gave you right there three or four that are really good, you know, goofy fun like Commando and really terrible ones like same Elmo's Fire. Anyways, point is, so you picked a winner, Dust, and uh, happy to oblige, and uh, happy birthday. So, <laughs> um, this movie, I need to uh, address first and foremost that... Uh, you know, I was accused of loving the film Less Than Zero. Now, anybody that really knows me knows that I'm a big Brett Easton Ellis fan, uh, who, of course, wrote Less Than Zero, wrote, uh, you know, American Psycho, amongst other ones. And Less Than Zero, the film, uh, is a loose interpretation or representation of uh, Less Than Zero, the novel. It stars Andrew McCarthy... Uh, Jamie Gertz, and Robert Downey Jr., uh, and James Spader. And uh, I don't love the film. Uh, I was accused of loving the film. I don't love it. I enjoy it. It's good. I appreciate it because of the source material. Uh, I am a big 80s guy in relation to music and aesthetics in some ways. The black jeans, we, we, we don't do black jeans. But, you know, it's a six and a half out of ten it's not a great movie. There's definitely some flaws. Uh, but it's got some, you know, it's got some things about it. Um, so that was the first salacious and odious lie told to you people about me. Um, you know, <laughs> so after that, you know, we've got to call out, uh, 
you know, Dustin gave this movie that we're talking about now, Tough Turf, gave it a five on our vomitous scale. And he said that he wanted to like it. You know, he, he said that he likes the soundtrack. Uh, he said that, you know, he thought that the, uh, you know, the, the scene in the country club was sweet. But he gave it a five, people. No. Dustin, let's be honest. This is like a three and a half for you. Don't lie. Don't lie. I'll give you the opportunity to change your vote, and that's okay. But, uh, you know, just call it what it is. We also need to address very briefly the fact that Avengers is a great movie. Uh, Avengers is a terrible movie. The first Avengers is horrid. It's awful. It's just nonsense, Michael Bay explosions all over the place. Um, It's utter trash. Um, You know, Iron Man, uh, you know, Dustin didn't care for Iron Man, I think mostly because of Robert Downey. And I can appreciate that part of it, and that's okay. Um, But Iron Man is a far superior movie to Avengers. So just, you know, (laughs) getting that out of the way, too. Um, So, this movie... um, Oh, boy, where do we even begin with this? So this is like Karate Kid without Pat Morita. It's like... It's like so many of these movies that are right around the same time or almost out or have come out in a year or two, like Karate Kid. You know, Dustin went through a good amount of the story, so I'm not going to go through the plot. You know, every now and again, every now and again, I'll kind of mention something that maybe he didn't, but... (laughs) You know, this goofball is just on this bike and he, you know, he throws you know, Cola and these idiots' faces that are trying to rob this dude, this older guy. And one thing about this movie that drove me nuts, you know, from the get-go, is that, like, nobody has any motivation for anything in this movie. There's no reason for anything to happen, you know. Spader's character, you know, Morgan, um, you know, he's just riding his bike around. He's the new kid, you know, okay. You know, why does he get involved with these people? Why does he, like, <laughs> interrupts this mugging to throw cola <laughs> at these ruffians with their half shirts and sweat dance? <laughs> you know, there's no reason for it. You know, it's so just in the moment, like, oh, hey, I'm going to just go start trouble. Now, granted, you might be a decent person. You might want to intervene. That's not happening in 1985 in one of these, you know, garbage, you know, teen movies. And I do give Dustin credit for saying it's a lot like a John Hughes movie. Um, It has that kind of tone and similar feel, and it's also terrible. Um, My first note on the film as a whole is that Kim Richards sounds like she's 50. You know, her first couple lines are like this. And I thought that she was, like, auditioning to be, you know, Pazuzu in a, in a remake of The Exorcist um, because she sounded like she was 50. Um, you know, <laughs> it's just, it just keeps kind of going, you know, from there. Um, the soundtrack is very good. I actually really like the soundtrack. Uh, so Dustin and I definitely agree on that as well. Um, 
you know, the opening track that Dustin couldn't be bothered to uh, research was Love Hates by Marianne Faithful. Uh, you can YouTube that. That's also on the Wikipedia page. So, folks, just so you know, Mary Ann Faithful, uh, Love Hates is the opening track. And it's actually really good. It, it's, a, it's, a cool, it's a cool song. And overall, apart from the 50s soda jerk ice cream social songs that kind of pervade this movie, um, the overall, the soundtrack is actually pretty solid. So if you dig... Uh, 80s movies, and if you dig 80s music in any way, um, that's at least a plus. Um, it's the same kind of thing like in Risky Business, which is a far better movie uh, overall, but if nothing else, the soundtrack by Tangerine Dream. Fabulous. You know, you can listen to that soundtrack and just go, yeah, you know, and kind of hang out and just relax. Um, but not getting too far off topic. So once we get past the fact that Kim Richards sounds like she's already in menopause. Um, the next note that I have is that everybody carries blades. You know, they carry blades, man. And they carry them in their bras. So, uh, you know, Robert Downey's character, um, you know, he just, again, there's no reason for him to want to come to Morgan's defense. Um, there's, there's no reason for it. He's just like, hey, who's the new kid? Quick, give me a blade. You know, and he talks to, uh, you know, he talks to this girl that he knows and she hides a blade in her bra. Mm -hmm. So half the girls in this aren't wearing bras because it's like 84. And, uh, you know, the other half hide switchblades in their bras. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You know, why not? We're going to rumble. You know, it's like the cross and the switchblade and, you know, rumble fish and, you know, stand by me and all that nonsense. Um, and the opening school shot is an, like an awful poison music video. And that's something that I noticed in this film, too. There's a lot of sequences that are like a mixture of like a hair band and like Phil Collins' Susudio uh, music video. There's just all these jump cuts and it's like lockers open. It's like, you know, and like everybody's turning the dial at the same time and everybody's flicking their switchblades at the same time. And it's this really goofy like poorly, poorly, poorly conceived kind of nonsense. And that happens quite a bit. And there's these musical numbers throughout that are all, like I said before, kind of like these 50s-inspired, like, just goofiness. And it just kind of happens. And it's like half musical. And it's pretty obvious that they were inspired by something like West Side Story. Um, but they did it really poorly. Um my next notation here is that Robert Downey is really just being Julian from Lesson Zero before the crack. So, you know, uh, kind of tying into that uh, odious lie about me loving that film. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, Robert Downey's character, I, I could see Julian from Lesson Zero being this guy before he really gets into drugs. He's a little bit younger. Um, you know, he's in a band, he's got some charisma, he's kind of a goofball, he's kind of like with the in crowd, but kind of on the outskirts at the same time. So that's just kind of something, it's basically the same character, just minus, you know, veins. Um, you know, when the bike thing happens, um, you know, I've been recovering from a cold, and it's one of those things where it went from my head down into my chest. <coughs> Excuse me, as we can see. 
And, uh, you know, this gave me, like, a panic attack because I was coughing so hard. Um, the bike goes into the air and gets tossed, you know, like it's a winning field goal from, like, a sports movie. You know, it cuts to the, it cuts to the, to the car. And then we cut to Spader's eyes. And then we cut to the bike. And then we cut to the bike break. And he, like, plays, like, Zorro, you know, Toro, you know, with this car. And, uh, <laughs> and then it just goes flying in the air. <laughs> it's all in slow motion. And I laughed so hard I gave myself a coughing fit. And what I loved was how there's these cars going in a circle like a demolition derby, and no adults see this. No adults see the uh, Latino gangster try to run over this kid, um, the slow-motion bike in the air, of course, and then the guy goes after him again. I mean, there's no adults here, and that's one of those things. Like, the adults in this are stupid, and they just don't pay attention and they're barely around. Um, the only one that has any depth at all is uh, Morgan's father, who's caring and looks like a more disheveled Peter Boyle from Taxi Driver. Um, and, uh, you know, he cares, you know. He cares, but, like, it doesn't matter. Um, so, you know, so he's back in his room fixing his bike and his mother and her pantaloons and her perm. You know, they, she walks in with this frosted over hair and her balloon-like pants. And, gee, mom, you know. And then he leaves, of course, sans bike because it looks like a tied-up pizza dough, the wheels. And um, he goes to the band. He goes to the, uh, to the concert, the show, where... Uh, you know, Robert Downey's character is playing. Um, and the, the first cut is that, you know, one of the guys in the band has the same haircut as uh, Morgan's mother. And there's like a David Bowie impersonator singing. It was kind of weird and creepy. Um, that scene turns into a Love is a Battlefield B-side of the music video. Uh, it's like they did a, a take and Pat Benatar hated it and threw up. Uh, on her neon stretch pants, and uh, that's what that scene overall looks like. So then, of course, at this point, Kim Richards, uh, Frankie, her character, of course, is at this dance, this show uh, as well, and Morgan, of course, you know, finds her and takes her, and, you know, uh, Dustin made the good point that, you know, their eyes met, and there's something about him. <sighs> so, of course, they meet again. And, you know, she's like, hang it away, all while doing, like, choreographed, like, like you know, really serious dance moves. And she's like, and then he dips her, and she just melts. You know, he dips her, and she's just like, oh, oh. And then everybody's moving around in this crazy choreographed nonsense. And then it was like a teen version of the Baywatch intro. You know, in Baywatch on the intro, it's like, you know, and then it gets into the beginning. And it's like all the different cuts, and it's just uh, it's horrible. Um, this was when I realized that this was like a dumb version of the Karate Kid. Um, of course, so then, you know, Morgan gets beat up, and, um, you know, he, he's, he. 
he, he, he just there's nothing there's no reason for anything like he stole a Porsche he just steals this Porsche he sees the keys in it and he just goes oh yeah all right I'll take that to the show so then Nick and his uh, his gang the bad guys you know they're in the Porsche so they get arrested they're going away for a little bit all this stuff so then we see that Jimmy Robert Downey's character has stolen Nick's car. What? What? Why? Why did he steal this car? What does he have against Nick? Now, I get it. Like, you know, Nick's a douche. Nick's an asshole. You know, I imagine it's not hard to conceive that Nick, you know, had something against Jimmy as well. Picked on him, whatever. But that's never extrapolated on. We don't know anything. Um, while they're in the car, uh, Morgan goes, oh, I'm driving. Because Jimmy almost, like, kills him and, like, runs him over. And he goes, oh, you're driving something or other. And then Morgan says, well, Lincoln freed the slaves. There you go. 2017, 1985. Um, so, you know, then they pick up, uh, they pick up Frankie and they pick up, uh, I think it's Ronnie. It's either Ronnie or Feather. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, they pick them up and they go on this long drive and, you know... Then they go to this country club. Of course, this is more Morgan's territory. He knows these things. He came from Connecticut. And he kind of sneaks them in, um, you know, and all this other stuff. And that scene, um, you know, Dustin said that there's some sweet moments in it. Well, I found the sweet moments to be stupid. However, uh, the country club scene is decent. You know, it's fun. Um, I you could see that there was some thought put into it. Um, you know, like Robert Downey, like James Spader or not, you know, they both do have some charisma and it's very evident here. You know, they're having fun and they're messing with these people. They're doing all this stuff. Um, so it's decent. It's fun. The song Dustin is not sweet. It's stupid. And Spader to me looks like he's staring at an algebra problem that he can't figure out. Um, he throws Frankie onto the piano and he starts playing and he starts singing and he has just this look on his face like he can't figure out math and he's like constipated at the same time. Um, another odious lie uh, given to you by Mr. Hummel was that, uh, you know, James Spader, uh, you know, sung on his own. Well, it was actually a gent named Paul Carney who dubbed uh, singing for Spader. So, um, fact check. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, Dustin, I love you, man. So, you know, after they basically get thrown out, I mean, they kind of like run away and leave, you know, they're in this garden and, you know, Frankie goes, well, what did you mean back there? And all I, I shouted, I go, listen to the lyrics of the song, stupid. And it's a dumb song anyways, but just listen to the lyrics, you dummy. And, um, you know, she figures, you know, because they're talking about, like, well, what are you going to do next? And, you know, he's like, eh, you know, college, you know, whatever. And she goes, he goes to her, you know, he says, well, are you going to go to college too? And she goes, eh, I think I'll get married. <laughs> but she can do handsprings like an Olympic athlete. And it's just so dumb. She's just, you know, well, I, just, I guess I'll just get married. And then, you know, I realized after that, half of this movie is the Shut Up and Dance music video by Walk of the Moon. 
Um, if you've ever seen that, shut up and dance with me. I wish they all just shut up. Um, but that's what half of this movie is. And then suddenly, Nick is out. He's just out. He's just there. And he's in Frankie's room. And he's like, hey, you know. And she's like, no, you can't have it unless I give it to you. And then he like basically forces himself on her. He He throws her on the bed, more or less, and then just kind of like, forces himself on her and that was like a really weird kind of like i don't know man it was bizarre and it was it was it was weird um so then we cut to the locker room scene um this definitely looks like it was you know set up and probably also replicated in some sort of like bad gay porn loop from the 80s um, they give him this key party, blanket party. They barely even touch him. Uh, you know, he's got like a couple welts. I mean, you might as well have just gotten hit by a dodgeball with those short shorts and those fruit socks that everybody wore in the 80s. I mean, it was, just, you know, it was lame. It was stupid. Um, he's just like leading, you know, he's just like, uh, he's just like laying there. And then, you know, he's in his room afterwards in the evening and his dad comes in and you know, he's got, you know, the bandages, you know, and uh, what happened? Wow, yeah, you know, what happens all the time, Dad? And this is the meaning moment. And, uh, you know, again, like Dustin said before, um, you know, uh, these movies have a purpose, you know, they have a plan, you know, they have a, they, they have a meaning that's, you know, higher. No, no, it's stupid. So the father says, do what you believe in and feel good about it because the brother of uh, Morgan is, you know, the preppy, you know, yellow shirt with the tan sweater tied around his neck kind of, you know, Ivy League fruitcake. And throughout the entire um, throughout the entire film, the brother only wears yellow. That's all he wears. He only, he only wears yellow. And uh, he's like, oh, well, well, oh, oh, oh. and he just needs to get beat up too. But that doesn't happen, and that's unfortunate. But, you know, the dad says, you know, do what you believe in and feel good about it. So, you know, let's break this character down for a minute. He steals cars. He tries to steal other people's girlfriends. Granted, the other dude's a dick, but so is he. I mean, he steals cars, he tries to steal girlfriends, he's a burden on his family financially and emotionally, he's kind of an asshole. So do what you believe in and feel good about it. Good for you, Morgan. So then, you know, Nick uh, proposes to Frankie's, you know, decrepit, dying, crypt-keeper-like father. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'm so happy, you're going to get married to this psychopath. And, um... You know, of course, she doesn't want to, and then she goes to dinner with with Morgan, and, you know, her mother's dead, and uh, Morgan's mother doesn't know that she's dead, and she makes a faux pas, and is like, oh, well, if you've never been to the gardens here, maybe we can go, and maybe you can bring your mother, and of course, you know, <laughs> and I mean, I, I get it, you know, your mother's passed, clearly it wasn't a good thing, I think it was cancer, um, you know, I, I mean, I get all that, but like, 
the woman didn't know. She's trying to be nice. Like for the one moment in this film where the mother of Morgan is actually like on his side and like trying to be nice, well, she just can't win. So between that, the hair and the, and the pants, she might as well just kill herself. And, um, you know, so then Morgan runs after Frankie into the kitchen. He's like, she didn't mean anything. But oh, really, Morgan? Really? And she storms out. And then she gets in the car with Nick, who's just, you know, been, you know, following her. Um, and then they just cruise around for hours. <laughs> and then there's the watch. He finds uh, Morgan's dad, you know, reading a paper or whatever on a break. Because he drives, he drives a taxi. You know, he had a business. He obviously had, like, a real estate license. Because uh, that's alluded to. And now he's driving a taxi to, you know, provide for the family. Because the burden of Morgan, you know, because he feel good, feels good about what he does, who he is. So Nick <laughs> makes Frankie go up to him with his watch, pawn this watch to that cabbie, get some money for gas. And she sees who it is, of course, and she's oh, get out of here. So... You know, <laughs> so Morgan's dad, a decrepit Peter Boyle, is actually like a second degree in, in Taekwondo, though, because he fights off these three kids in their 20s. You know, he's in his 50s. And he fights off these three kids in their, in their 20s and is doing really well, and then he gets shot. So there you go. Um, <laughs> and he gets shot twice, and Nick and the hoodlums run off, and Frankie's there with him. And the next thing that I notice, you know, they're in the hospital and da 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 and that's fine. But I love how there's no police in this movie, except for the cop that's on the high school campus. There's no police looking for Nick. No one's filed a report. No one's called 911. I guess he walked to the hospital bleeding. No one is like... They're, they're <laughs> there's, no, there's nothing happening. There's no consequences. So, um, you know, this is now where, so, you know, this is now where Morgan and Frankie, you know, they get together, you know, and they make love. And then, uh, you know, Nick kind of attacks her dad in his, like, convenience store and attacks her and slaps her around the next morning you know she's obviously spent the night of passion with morgan and he drops her off on his bike <laughs> and then nick uh you know runs in on her saying i don't want to be you know and then so she gets beat up the father gets beat up and then they get uh you know she gets whisked away to this warehouse so then morgan gets the call yeah a killer man a killer you know because she's his property you know because women are things right so, you know, he's like, I'll kill her, man. Nobody talks to my, you know, he says that multiple times. Like, nobody touches my property, whatever it is, this idiot. And um, so, you know, Morgan decides, well, this has to end. So he gets armed to the teeth with paintball guns or something, BB guns, whatever. <laughs> he's like locking and loading like he's Agent 47 from Hitman. And Yellow Sweater Brother's like, I'm not letting you go, Morgan. He puts his hand up. And Morgan's like, you better get out of my way. You better get out of my way. You know, and I, I just wanted him to shoot him with like a blue paintball. And so then he moves, and so 
you know, we go to the warehouse and the epic climactic showdown. It's kind of like at the end of Cobra when Stallone is in the, uh, you know, the the ore plant fighting off, you know, the, the legions of the night people or whatever they are. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so he beats up the one guy and ties him up and shoots the other guy with the BB guns or the pellet guns or whatever. And then there's this massive fight between him and Nick. And this fight at the end of this, I, I got to say, it's actually very drawn out. Like it's a long fight sequence, um, and it's and this one to me at least was actually kind of brutal. Like it was it was long and it was hard hitting, um, and the cuts were actually decent. And uh, he kills. I mean, I, I <laughs> he kills this guy. I mean, he knocks him over the rail, and he's just bleeding all from his dome. I mean, Nick's dead. You know, Nick's dead. Um, you know, Jimmy comes in, Robert Downey's character comes in and brings in reinforcements with, like, attack Nazi dogs to chase off the uh, the other baddies with their half shirts and sweatbands still. And uh, Jimmy gets shot in the leg. And then Frankie is, you know, she's all right. And, <laughs> and then Morgan and Nick in this epic battle. And, uh, I mean, he throws him over a railing. I mean, he kills him. That's it. He's dead. There's no, he's not going to jail. That dude's dead. And then the movie ends. Movie ends back in the uh, the one dance place, like in the restaurant or whatever. And the go-go, there's these go-go dancers, and uh, you know they're all wearing uh, the the hand-me-downs from Airwolf the movie. Uh, if anybody ever saw that, Gabrielle, the girl that Stringfellow Hawk falls in love with, she goes undercover in Libya as a belly dancer. And their outfits are the exact same one. So they're using these, these Goko dancers are using used dance equipment from Airwolf the movie from a year earlier. Because this is 85 and that was 84. And, you know, it's like a six-minute sequence with the credits and this just terrible, like, you know, 50s or 60s kind of song. And it's just horrible. And they're all like, hey, <laughs> everybody's happy. So, you know, and then it ends. So, <laughs> I mean, I, uh, this was terrible. Yeah, I mean, it was horrible. And I'm not going to give Dustin the pleasure of giving this a three. Or certainly a two, you know, like 13 Ghosts is. Um, it's not a full-out five, and I'll tell you why. It's not a full-out five on the Vomitous scale, because the music really is good. Um, overall, the soundtrack is good. Um, not including the goofy, like, soda shop nonsense. The actual soundtrack, um, including Dustin uh, Love Hates by Marianne Faithful. Um, it's actually really good. Uh, I, I, I really dug it. I did. Um, so, you know, there's that. Um, the end sequence, the fight, the actual like fist fight between Nick and Morgan is pretty well done. Um, the scene in the, uh, in the country club, like I said, it's amusing up until the song, which is not sweet. It's stupid. Um, but that was interesting, too. It doesn't save this film. I mean, this film's horrid. It's awful. I mean, they couldn't even spell right. The tough turf, T-U-F-F, dummy. But, but uh, it's not a full-on five. It's like a four and a quarter. I can't give it a four. I can't really, I don't know. It's close. I mean, it's horrid, people. I mean, it really is. It's terrible. 
but it's not it's not <laughs> so there you go all right so dustin still holds the supreme reign of nonsense with his uh, his two for 13 ghosts um, and i cannot give this a five and i'm a, or a three rather and i'm not just saying that so that he can still hold the reign of goofiness it really isn't i mean it's not good it's terrible um you know, it's interesting how he, uh, Dustin alluded to Spader and Downey as actors and how he's never really cared for Downey, and I get that. I, um, I like Robert Downey in certain things. I think he's right as Iron Man. I think he's good as Iron Man, but Iron Man's become one note. Um, we were actually watching not too long ago uh, Civil War, the, the latest Marvel movie. And the first half of that movie was great. It was fine. Uh, and then the second half got really dumb. And uh, the first half was a lot like The Winter Soldier, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, which I think is probably overall the best Marvel movie that's ever been made. I've heard Doctor Strange is great. haven't seen it. Um, the second half is dumb. The second half is like the Avengers and like all that other goofy nonsense where it's just explosions and loud and it's just stupid. Um, but Robert Downey in that, I'm like, you know, you're just doing one note over and over and over and over and over again. And... He's made Tony Stark as Iron Man, just this one-note kind of thing. And he plays that same kind of character, for the most part, all the time. If you watch Less Than Zero, or you even watch this film, Tough Turf, and then you watch Iron Man, you're watching the same person 30 years later. Now, that's not to say that it doesn't work all the time. Like I said, I do think that uh, he does work as Iron Man, as Tony Stark. Um, but I think his performance in the first one is far better than in, like, you know, this most recent one, say, because there's a little more to it. Um, you know, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang for me is probably his high point uh, with Val Kilmer. Hysterical film. He's funny in it, and it works. Again, his, his type works, but he plays a little more there. Um, that's a really great recommendation if anybody's never seen that. Um, definitely recommend Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. As far as Spader goes, I'm a fan of Spader. I've always liked James Spader. Uh, always found him to be a very handsome man in his youth. Uh, a good, just a different quality. I feel, I've always felt like he's had like leading man quality but with that little bit of an off-kilter look. Um, and I think he's also a normal height, unlike somebody like Tom Cruise. Um, but, you know, he's done stuff like Two Days in the Valley, uh, which isn't a great film, but it's an interesting film. Um, you know, The Blacklist, of course, now is his, his kind of renaissance over the past four or five years. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a fun, that's a cool show. I've always thought Spader did interesting work. Um, I would definitely take Spader over Downey. Um, but uh, not in tough turf. So that's it, folks. I'm, uh, I'm going to call this. Um, I've actually run a little bit longer than Dustin's did. So the next time we do this, I'm going to go first. And then I'm going to let Dustin uh, have at me in a similar way because we play fair here. So please remember, subscribe, like, share. The best thing you people can do for us is just keep listening. But ask somebody else to listen to. Um, you know, we've had some great audience uh, response. We've got some dedicated listeners out there. But we can always use more, you know. And we're really trying to do something here to, you know, have some fun, keep you guys with us and gals with us. Um, and we appreciate it. But please, share, like, subscribe. Uh, just spread the word. What do you like? What you don't like? Um, 
you know, we take the criticism with the good. So that's it. Um, maybe we'll do 1982 next time because that's my birth year. Um, or maybe, you know, we'll you know just pick another movie. So thanks as always, folks. Keep on checking. And we appreciate all the uh, support. See you next time. Good night.